we bumped into some of like Madonna's backup dancers and dancers for a while. Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Legally Couture. Today we have a guest. It is my roommate, Grace, <laughs> because we're doing an episode about the law school application process, and she's in law school with me. So, go ahead. You can say hi, Grace. Cool. Hi, guys. So, I'm from Fort Lee, New Jersey. I went to my undergrad at UC Berkeley Haas. I majored in business, uh, business administration with a concentration in international business. Um, and fun facts, so two fun facts. I studied abroad in London for one semester and um, over quarantine, I wrote a book called Flyby on international business and entrepreneurship. Yes, plug the book. Tell them where they can buy plug it. Plug the book. Um, it's available on it's available on Amazon, Kobo, and Ingram, and it's seven stories of how multi-million dollar companies and startups were founded um, with origin stories all around the world in Japan and Austria and all over, and the United States. Yes, so that's Grace, everybody. So this past week was New York Fashion Week. Exciting. So, yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. Celebrities so, everywhere. Yes, celebrities everywhere. So Megan and I went to some events. We went to two free events. One was a Kate Spade apple picking thing. It was interesting. And then we went to the Revolve Gallery. So if any of you listening happen to be in New York and you went to it, let us know what you think of it because we thought it was really cool. But, um, and then we paid like 20 bucks for standing room at a fashion show that was actually really interesting. There was some like weird pieces at the beginning that it looked like somebody pieced together in like five minutes. Oh. Yeah, it was like tall or tool, however you say that. And it was like strings coming off it and stuff and it was just like pinned on the models. It was falling off of them. But then there was like real dresses and stuff after that that were cool. But yeah, so um, if you're in New York for Fashion Week, you can like go to cheap and free things if you want to participate. And then um, we went out to Catch, which is a club, but it's better than Somewhere Nowhere, which we said we didn't like. This one had dancing music, so we told Grace she has to come with us. Yes, next definitely. Time. Grace loves dancing music. I like dancing clubs. Yes, we love dancing clubs. And this one was nice too because it had like a little outside terrace, and we bumped into some of like Madonna's backup dancers and danced with them for a while. Exciting. So that was pretty cool. But yeah. Do they show off their moves? A little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Not a full on routine, but you could tell they were dancers. Yes, you could tell they were dancers (laughs) because they knew how to move their hips. Um, And yeah. But so that was basically our weekend. And now Grace and I are drowning in schoolwork, but we get Thursday off this week. As per usual. Yeah. And then Megan's birthday is coming up on Friday. Woo! So... We've got some, like, fun things planned for that. We're making her a surprise, too. But in case she listens to this, we can't say what the surprise is. No, we cannot. We can't say what that is. But it'll be super, super exciting. Yes, it'll be super, super exciting. So we're going to get into, like, the main chunk of the episode now. We're going to do it in, like, three chunks to make it easier to follow. We're going to do pre-application parts of the actual application and then kind of what goes on post-application. So that's what we have coming for you today. So the first part obviously is going to be the pre-application. So so over the like first part of that grace. Yeah so it's all the good stuff about the LSAT which we will do a deep dive in in a different episode but the LSAT, GPA grades, um, how to pick schools, LSAC law school fairs, which we will explain, and also the process for requesting recommenders and just general tips for getting good recommendations. Yes. Yes, so that's what we're going to cover here. So just like basics of like LSAT and GPA, we're not going to talk about how to study for the LSAT or how to take it. Just the LSAT is the law school um, admissions, admissions test. test. Thank you. Um, so with that, what schools you can get in is kind of largely based on your LSAT, which sucks, but that's just how it is. So that is something that you'll want to study for and prep for, which like I said, we'll do a whole episode about how to study for that, how to do well on it, like mindset and stuff for it. 
but so that's that and then um do you want to talk about how like gpa yeah so i would say that the gpa is like probably the second most important part of like your whole application and they take a look at your like entire gpa from all four years of um, of undergrad law schools don't really care about what major you do um, so there's like biology majors at, that like are that are in our sections right now in addition to like the normal like stereotypical like law school majors like philosophy and writing and like me I'm like sociology yeah and then philosophy was my minor and then you were I was a business right? major yeah. so they really don't care about what yeah. major you do they really more care about your like actual gpa and like what that actually was yes yeah and they will also take into account um i know because i was told by some people when i did my pre-law frat that um they'll take into account what your major is and your gpa sometimes so if you were in a tough major so your gpa might not be quite as high yeah versus somebody that did like a super easy major yeah had a perfect gpa they will like take that into account yeah like if you were like a legal studies major you probably need something close to you know a high three nine or a four oh but if you were like a chemistry major or like mechanical engineering engineering. um like any engineering a lower gpa is fine because they would understand yeah that's a bit harder and yeah they'll take that a bit into account so if you're like just starting out, um, and this goes for like most grad schools, honestly, and even like college, so if you're in high school and you're listening, this goes for college too. The thing that you can like focus on before worrying about actually applying and picking places is just like focusing a bit on your grades. <laughs> and it'll help you in the long run so you don't have to like do a bunch of other things to make up for that lack of good grades. Exactly. So. Yeah, but one thing um, that actually what could be fun to talk about is your pre-law frat we could both we were both in pre-law frats we can get into that so um i was in kappa alpha pi at berkeley and um personally i think joining a pre-law frat pre-law frat was um a really really good thing to do in college just because for me my major wasn't like legal related so i it was really good to find a community of like like like-minded students who like cared about the law and like I was able to talk to upperclassmen who studied for the LSAT, like applied for uh, applied for law school, and it was just good to like pick their brains and learn more up more about the process when it's kind of hard to do otherwise. Yeah, and then I was in Phi Alpha Delta at University of San Diego, so um, most of the same things that Grace said. And then I will add um, that our Pre-Law Frat did an event every week where we had a speaker come. I'm not sure if yours did that. Yeah, we did legal panels. Yeah, so we would do legal panels. We would do, like, law student panels sometimes. And then we would also have, like, judges. And, like, we had somebody come from the Padres that weren't there as, like, their legal Legal counsel. Yeah, their legal counsel of some sort. So um, we also had people come that were working in different areas of law to actually hear what it was like to have their jobs and like their backgrounds where they went to school and stuff so it just gives you a little more insight into like opportunities that you can have that you might not think of you might just be like oh lawyer so i'm just gonna be like in court but there's so many other areas of law yeah and i really yeah and i really learned more about like what law actually entails like it's not just going to court and like litigation um but where i learned more most of that was um like during my time in kappa alpha pi Mm -hmm. and also i know that um in like certain schools um at least like my our our section yes our chapter thank you yeah our chapter um offered discounts to um like test masters so like law school prep schools so um you could also look out for that um most pre-law frats usually get discounts for that yeah 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 yeah. and we did sessions as well in mine that Mm -hmm. had to do with like lsat studying and stuff occasionally so yeah Yeah. so those can be helpful (laughs) Or they'll go over, like, resumes for law school. Like, we did a session with career services, and they talked about what a law school resume looks like. So, yeah, if you have the opportunity to join a pre-law frat or some type of pre-law organization at your school, even if it's not, like, an official pre-law fraternity, 
we would both recommend yeah definitely because you can also that's a really good opportunity for you to also realize if you don't want to go to law school yeah and save yourself you know a couple hundred thousand dollars yeah early it can also help you like make that decision yeah you do want to do that exactly yeah this does sound like i want to do so yeah that's a bit about the pre-law frats yes next we'll talk about the lsac law school fair so lsac is essentially the big organization that everyone has to get an account on in order to take the lsac but in addition to that they also offer um law school fairs every couple of months i want to say or like in the fall fall, every month Yeah, but it's essentially, it's exactly what it sounds like. All the law schools, um, like, go to this fair and you're able to kind of table and talk to the different Mm -hmm. representatives at each school and kind of get a taste of what each school is like and what, you know, their requirement, quote-unquote requirements are for, um, for, like, when they apply, such as, you know, like, median GPA, median LSAT, and, you know, a bunch of other good stuff. We both did it virtually because yes. it was a year of COVID. Yeah, but they're um, usually in person. Yeah. So, like, they'll hold them at big schools in, like, the big cities around the country. So if you're able to go in person, I feel like that would be nicer. The yeah. virtual was a bit confusing of, like, finding the different schools. That it was like, weird because you couldn't – you had to, like, choose the ones that you wanted to go yeah. to and, like, yeah. at, you can't be at two places at the same time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you had to, like, miss out when they had – because they, like, timed their like presentations. Yeah. And if you missed it, then you couldn't get in or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So – but you can always look out for that. Hopefully, they're in person for the yes. incoming <laughs> students. Yes. Also, LSAC is how you will do your applications. So oh, yes. that's how you'll do your applications, request your transcripts, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So LSAC will become like your enemy and your best friend. It's the LSAT. It's going to occupy it's, a little part of your browser, then yeah. it'll never go away. Yes, yep. I feel like I had it, like, pinned, like, on my computer for oh, a yeah. while. Oh, yeah. For easy access. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but LSAC also does have free LSAT studying tools, I will mention. It's the only LSAT studying tip we will give today. There are free <laughs> practice tests and, like, practice problems on LSAC. Yes. Okay, next we'll go on to tips for recommenders. So what makes for a good um, teacher recommendation or professor recommendation, do you think? You want a professor that knows you a bit, so not just someone you had in class Like freshman year. Yeah, not like freshman year. Who doesn't remember your name. Yes. (laughs) So, like, if you're a senior and, like, you only had this um, professor, like, that one semester but like you love them and you like talk to them a lot and you went to a bunch of their office office hours hours had like conversations about your goals and your dreams and like they know what you want to do then that's a good recommender but like as a baseline i would try to get recommenders that you had multiple courses with because then they got to know you over time so at least two of the professors i picked were ones that i'd have like multiple classes with so i knew that they had seen me in like different courses and like saw yeah. how it worked and stuff and that I would like go to their office hours at some yeah. point within two semesters yep so you so yeah you want to pick professors that have gotten to know you a bit yeah I yeah. think um one of my recommenders I've taken every single class that he's taught okay so, yeah, yeah. So I took, like, four of his classes, and I was like, I definitely want a recommendation from you. Um, And then my other one was, like, a professor that I, like, consistently went to, like, office hours with, like, still stayed in touch with. I only took his class once, like, Mm -hmm. beginning of sophomore year, but he also didn't teach after that that anyway. So, but we stayed in touch, and he was, like, really helpful, not just as a recommender, but as, like, a mentor. So Mm -hmm. I would say, you know a good recommender, someone who you would probably look at as a mentor as well, someone who just, you, like, go to for, like, career tips and everything. Yeah. Um, So, like, in terms of that, if you're in, like, college right now and you're thinking you want to go to law school, that's, like, a seed you might want to, like, plant ahead of time to help yourself. Definitely. I know when I, it came down to it for me, I had, like, a couple professors that I knew I wanted, but then I was, like, I need more than that. Yeah. And then I had to be, like, well, who would work? So, um, if you know you have a professor that you think would, like, write an amazing letter for you, start, like, going to their office hours, like, keeping in touch with them and stuff, 
weeks. Like I had one professor that I only had one semester that I decided to use as a recommender. I didn't even really go to his office hours that much. But when I was in his class, he would always like compliment my writing and stuff. Oh, nice. So you can also like go off of that. Yeah. It's a professor that has like complimented your work. Then most likely they would be happy to write you a recommendation. But like keep in touch with them leading yeah. up to it. You still have to like have a relationship yes, with of them some because sort. like professor recommendations are kind of a stressful thing where you is yeah. a constant back and forth with your professor yeah. about getting it and like mm-hmm. them asking you sometimes for like uh, like a blurb or like things yeah. that they want to know about you that they would theoretically want to put in the application. So yes. it's a lot of back and forth. So you have to have a good relationship in order to have that just go smoothly in general. Yes. And like in terms of that also, like she said, the blurb. So I sent all of my recommenders, my law school resume and like my draft of my personal statement that I had at the time when they were writing it. So um, you can also do that if you're like looking into doing this right now, because you happen to be applying right now. Um, send them everything that you have for your application and that will help them. And then they don't have to like stress out about, oh my God, I can't remember what I should say about them. Like send them everything you have on you. Yeah. And then they can just refer to it as needed. Bored. Makes everybody's life easier instead of them emailing you being like, hey, can you answer this question? Like, if you just send them the resume especially and the personal statement, it'll give them an idea of how you're gearing your application. Yeah. You just, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to write this application because not only will that, like, make for a good, like, letter from them, Mm -hmm. it also just speeds up the entire process because you don't have to do the whole back and forth. You can kind of send everything to them at once and then have them just just write it and then be done. Yeah, and like, when it's getting closer to when you need it, be like, hi, just, like, checking in to see, like, when you're going to be getting it in. I'm just, like, trying to plan when to actually submit applications. So you can, like, politely check in with them and give them messages, especially if you know it's a professor that kind of will behind on things. <laughs> yeah, I've heard some like horror stories of like professors forgetting to write your application yeah. or mm-hmm. just like forgetting what the deadline was and like yeah. whole stressful thing. You want to do it as early as possible and you want to make it as easy as possible for them to write yeah. it for you. And if you do need to check in with them in an email, in an email to be like, is it almost ready? A good way to do that is being like, hi, I just wanted to see if you need anything else to get my, um, letter of recommendation done so then it's like you checking and see if they need anything from you yeah and you can like put in the date be like to get it done by next week by next month by whatever date yeah to give them a little reminder but also it seems like you're being helpful yes exactly or what I did was um I like essentially in an email I wrote oh you know the deadline is coming up on this date would love to have it by you know two weeks before Mm -hmm. that just to make sure that everything's squared away um you know just wanted to give you a heads up on the deadline and Mm -hmm. if you need any other documents or whatever ask for it then yes and then I would also let them know um like a couple weeks in advance of when you actually need it. So kind of yeah. lie to them yes. about when you need it. You have so to. You have that buffer Yeah. if they forget. So like I told them all that I needed my letters. I said like, I think by like mid-October, but like I didn't do my applications until November. Yeah. And I was like, then I know they're all in. So I have my like choice of which ones I want to use on each application. Yeah. So I'm not like stuck with like this one when maybe... Because someone else could have wrote someone, a, someone else, else wrote a better one wrote a but better one or um, yeah. just like how they knew you and what they knew about you might have been better for a specific application if you were applying to like a specific program um, so I'd sum like that you can also use employers um, yeah you didn't mention so um, I did use an employer that I had from when I was in college because it was with like a community service type job that I was doing through school so he was a good recommender for that because I was talking about how I might do like public service work. So um, if you have an employer that knows you well, that also kind of has to do with how you're gearing your application, you can absolutely use them as well. But they do recommend that you have at least two professors. So yeah. I would send two professor recommendations and then my employer recommendation as a third one. 
Yeah, definitely. And the only other thing I would say about recommendations is ask for them, like, months in advance. Yes. I think I asked for them literally, like, five months before I, yeah. like wanted to even like submit an application just because also it was COVID so I didn't know what was going on and yeah. I just needed to ask for it early but both of mine like got back to me like in the summer and had it done like by the summer before yes. I applied so I didn't have to worry about anything yeah. so um Life that's what I did so yeah I lied to them about the date <laughs> but yeah I asked for mine I want to stay in like maybe July and like I said I submitted yeah. like most of my applications in November yeah um so then you give them plenty of time to do it so then if they have like trips planned or um just if they know they're gonna have a busy month at some point they're able to fit it into their schedule when they can leading up to that yeah and then we'll i guess nicely hop into the application portion so um with your applications before you actually send them in you have to pick which schools you want to apply to super important (laughs) so with that um most people articles admissions counselors that you talk to will recommend that you pick three categories of schools to apply to. So you want to pick your safe schools, your in-range schools, and your reach schools. And what you're going to base these on is the GPA and LSAT combination that we were talking about earlier. So you can look up charts and like the medians and such and the ranges of what is normal at these schools. So in terms of picking a safe school, that's going to be a school that your LSAT and GPA um, fall ab- below. No, sorry, no, above, above. Above. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, something about that sounds wrong. Um, falls above your median. Their median. Their median. Yeah. I lost track of my thoughts. Um, that way, you know, like you're guaranteed to get in there. And with that, like it gives the 25th and 75th percentile of the school's scores. So you want to be in that like 75th range, yeah. most likely for your safe schools, 75th and above, I would say. And then the in range is going to be, if you're like around that median, mm-hmm. between the 25th and 75th percentile, you would be in range. And then your reach schools are going to be the ones where you fall below in either GPA, LSAT, or both. Oh. For um, that um, 25th percentile. So you'll be like at the 25th or below it for those reach schools. And the reason you do that is because, with um, like the medians even saying like 25th to 75th, that means like 25% of scores of people that get in are below that. So you still have a chance. You're just not guaranteed that you'll get in. So you don't want to waste time on too many of those. No. So what do they recommend? Usually like three, three, and three, I think. Yeah, I think it is three, three, and three. three but three, three. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on depends on how many applications you want to write. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Some people just apply to one school. Yeah. Which that scares me. I would at least apply to like three at minimum. How I many would say? I don't remember how many I applied to. I, I think I did nine. I think I did like ten or eleven. I think I did nine. And a lot. The reason I did more is because I wasn't sure where I wanted to be in the country when I was doing my application. Still, so um, I knew I wanted to be on the East Coast, but I was applying to places in Washington D.C., Boston, and New York. So I had like schools within those three ranges, basically in each of those three cities. Okay, that's so interesting. I had the same thought process, but my whole thing was I'm only going to apply to schools that I actually want to go to. So if I have zero intention Mm -hmm. of, and I had zero intention of going to a West Coast school, I just didn't apply to them. That's why I didn't apply to West Coast schools. Yeah, so I only applied to the East Coast. That was pretty much my only, um, like, geographic limitation. I really wanted to be in New York, but I extended it, I think, to D. That's as far as that and went. Oh, well, Duke, actually. Oh, I yeah, fair Duke, enough. But that's the furthest I went. I know. And that was the only one that far south. I think it was just New York, D.C., and I think maybe I sent an application. Oh, I mean, I sent an application to UC Berkeley, but that was just a homage to my home school. Oh, not I necessarily a, <laughs> Not necessarily that I actually want to go there, but I was like, let's just, let's just like, do that. Why not? I was like, it's where I went. I feel like I should. Um, and I think... Michigan. Um, that is my computer yet again telling you what time we're recording at. <laughs> it happens every week. <laughs> so 
it's 11, guys. PM, not AM. Yeah, but I, um, I would say other considerations for schools would be um, definitely, like, definitely location-wise, because um, that has a really big bearing on, like, where your internship opportunities are going to be and, like, job applications. Not that you have to worry about that right now, but just something to consider when you're picking schools. Yes, no, a big, um, point that a lot of our speech people that, so not how you say speech people, (laughs) speakers, speakers (laughs) that are speakers in the pre-Lockrat would tell us um, was that you want to try to go to school where you think you want to be starting your career after graduating. Yeah. So, like, if you think you want to be, um, starting your career in New York, you'll want to go somewhere at the very least, like, in the Northeast. Yeah. Because, um, especially with schools that aren't, like, top 14, if you go to a top 14 school, you can get a job anywhere after graduation. Yeah. This is what they would tell us. This is what I've found is true when I've read anything. But if you go to a school that's more, like, regionally acclaimed, like, um, we go to Cardozo, and, like, everybody in the New York area, I would say probably through, like, Connecticut and Jersey, they're yeah. all going to know Cardozo, um, and it's, like, a good school here, but if we were to try to get a job in Florida, or, probably like in California, or, yeah, probably not, they, like, we might still get a job, but we wouldn't be as competitive, yeah. because, like, the people who we are doing interviews with and such wouldn't know the school as well and wouldn't understand kind of how it comes into play in the legal market, I guess, kind of. Yeah. here you have, like, at firms, you have, like, Cardozo graduates at most of the firms. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So those, I would say, are the most important things. Yeah. It also makes it hard um, for, like, OCIs, like, schools, like, some firms won't want to, like, theoretically, like, go across the country for... um, for a, a school, yeah, for school. a more regional school. So, like, every school does OCIs, but you'll kind of find that they are more regionally based unless you yes. go to a T14. Yes. Um, but, yeah. Yep. I think even some of the T14 ones, too, though, are more they regional are more regionally anyway. based. And sometimes yeah. those schools will do, like, trade-offs, though, I think, where you're allowed to go to the OCIs at another school. Like, some schools oh, kind really? of do, like, joint things. I've seen that. I don't remember what school it was, but it was that I saw somebody going to, like, Harvard or something. I don't know. Some big school was coming to New York. Okay, cool. For one of the, like, OCIs here or something. So, um, in general, they're a bit regionally based. So, just, even if you go to a T14, I feel like you would still want to try to stay in the area. Even if it's within a couple states, but, like, you wouldn't want to go, I feel like, California to, like, New York. Yeah. Um, one other thing, so for picking schools, you also want to consider, so you're more likely to get money at a school where you are highly competitive, so where you have your GPA or your LSAT above the median, um, so if, like, financial, so, I mean, obviously, everyone, everyone wants scholarship money, um, so you're more likely to get money from those schools rather than reach schools or even in-range schools, depending on what what those schools are. Yeah, and that's because the schools want to give you money because you're actually boosting their median then, so you make them look better. Yeah. And that's why scholarships are largely based on the GPA and LSAT, because they're like, oh, our median's a 162, and you got like a 166 on the LSAT, so we want you because you're going to help boost us more, so they want more high-scoring people. Exactly. Um, So they might, you might get in, but they might not give you money because they don't want you to come that badly. Yeah. That makes sense. They're like, you can come if you want, but we don't want you to come that badly. We're not putting our money where our mouth is. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, like, at Cardozo, I ended up retaking the LSAT after I applied and got in because I wanted to negotiate scholarships. So I ended up having a much, a fairly higher LSAT than the median here. So I was able to get a better scholarship with that. So, yeah, it's, so yeah. it's real. <laughs> I it like, is certainly real. It is definitely real. Certainly real. Yeah. 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 So that's what we have for you on picking schools. Okay, next we'll go on to the personal statement. I I remember when I wrote my personal statement, I think I did, like, three different drafts of it and then picked the one that I liked and then sent it out to, like, 
everyone who I thought would have like a good idea of what a good personal statement would be so I sent it to my like friend's dad who was a lawyer I had um one of my like professors who taught at a law school mm-hmm. he like taught at Berkeley Law and I had him read it oh um I was like if you seem like you would be somewhat knowledgeable in the area let me just send it to you and see what you say back so I I did like multiple edits and like multiple versions of um of the personal statement yeah <laughs> yeah so I wasn't as intense with the personal statement. <laughs> I did not send it to a bunch of people. I did have multiple edits, so I like wrote the draft. I needed to get some ideas out, and then I didn't look at it again for a month. So how I picked my um, personal statement topic was that every time an idea for a topic came up in my head, I would write it down as a note in my phone. And then this would just happen like once a week. I would think of a topic, and I'd write it down. So then when it came down to actually writing it, I had options to be like, which one would make the best personal statement. So that's a fun tip if you're trying to like pick a topic. Just like for a month or so, just like write down ideas as they come to your head. Because otherwise when it comes around to writing, sometimes you just forget all of the ideas that you had that popped up. So um, yeah, that's just a fun tip. So I did that for, like, a summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think your personal statement, you want to kind of, like, tell... Not your life story, your but story. your life... But you want to tell a story about your... Like, why you... Especially why you go to... Why you, why want, you want to go to, to law go. school. You yep. definitely have to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to put in, essentially, all of the things that would... Ha- like, that would help a law school get a better idea of who you are and how you could benefit their student their student body so any sort of um well this not necessarily your personal statement but like any sort of diversity thing um you would want to talk about also Mm -hmm. if you've had any experience in like the legal profession you definitely want to talk about that um one of the big things is that law schools don't want to Law schools will, like, want to accept people who, like, show a demonstrated interest in the law. They want to make sure that if they accept you, you actually want to go and you actually yes. finish. So that um, they don't waste the spot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's super important that you convince them of, like, your intent to go to uh, to go to law school and, like, be successful in the legal mm-hmm. field. And so, then um, something you'll want to edit, too, for each of your personal statements to different schools is um, usually you'll put a little bit in about why you want to go to that school. In particular, yeah. And what you yeah. think you could bring to that school in particular. So yeah. I like use the same personal statement for all of my applications. Because occasionally a question for a personal statement will be slightly different and you'll have to change it. Um, like you'll have to change your statement a little bit to really answer their question. But all of mine were basically the same. So I just had a paragraph in it that I would go through and edit to be yeah. about that school. I did the exact same thing. So um, you'll want to do something like that to make sure you're covering all your bases. Um, we can talk about the law school resume a little bit. Oh, God. That was not that interesting. No. But it's just a little bit different than a normal resume. So most likely at some point in your high school or more likely college oh. career, you had to make a resume for something, whether it was an internship for a class that you were in, for something you most likely needed a resume. The law school resume is a little bit different in the way that it's set up. So what I recommend with that actually is just looking up examples of it and just taking your basic resume and reformatting it to that and then adding in the extra things that law school resumes want. Like you're supposed to put like clubs and extracurriculars kind yeah, of. Yeah, they want to know what you, like, like how like how you were involved. you were in. Yeah. If you um, did, um, there's a, a volunteer work section. Yeah. So, Obviously, like, your section about, like, your school and, like, your GPA and, like, yeah, relevant yeah, so classwork that, that you want to do. Yeah. That's something that I didn't know. So, um, that will go first, your schooling information. And then you'll go down and be, like, experience. That's, like, work and volunteer. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has, like, official work experience either. Like, I had a friend that had basically never worked. But she had lots of different volunteer experiences. So you just gear it more towards that. So you could even change, um, instead of saying, like, work and volunteer separately, you could just be, like, experiences. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
experience. I think that's what mine said. Yeah. Like that. I like combined them. Mm-hmm. And then within it, I like differentiated like what they were, if they were paid or unpaid. Um, yeah. yeah. And you definitely want to highlight. So like content specific, you want to highlight things that like, for example, if you worked at like your legal clinic at school mm-hmm. or um, if you interned for a law firm or anything legal related, you probably want to put that first. Yes. Um, and then subsequent things after. Yes. And you don't want to overload your resume. So like there's some things that you might want to leave off if you were in like an extracurricular that had nothing to do with law school or even like working in terms of like space. You're not like overwhelming them with information. You might just want to leave that out and just like really gear it towards the things that will make you look like a good candidate for the school. Yeah. Yeah. So that's resumes. So, up next. Oh, just a little bit about optional essays. So these are a part of most applications. Sometimes it's just like, why do you want to go to our school? What can you bring to our school? But I had some that were like very specific questions that you had to pick one or two essays to write. And (laughs) just make sure you answer the question. Yes. Don't go off on a tangent, just like talking more about what's in your personal statement. You want to answer the question, and if you have an option to pick between different questions, and there's one that's basically what you already said in your personal statement, pick another question so that you can highlight something else about yourself Mm -hmm. so that um, they're not just getting repetitive information. Because you want to repeat things a little bit, like resume and personal statement can coincide a bit. Um, Because you might be talking about an experience that you had that's listed on your resume, but you're going to go into like separate details and maybe anecdotes in your personal statement. Um, so the same goes for those extra essays. Don't be too repetitive because the admissions counselors will get bored reading yeah. the same thing over and over again in your application. Exactly. Um, if you, not that I necessarily recommend this because this was a big rabbit hole for me, but if you go on Reddit, there's always tips on which optional essays that you want to write. So for example, for Georgetown, you definitely, you have to, you literally, you have to write their essay about why you want to go to Georgetown. Oh yes. Yep. You have to, or you make a video. It says optional. It's optional, but but for Georgetown, (laughs) at the very least for Georgetown, that's the one you write. Um, I also remember. I think any school that has a why you want to go here you should write it otherwise it's going to seem to them like you don't really want to go there yeah and they're just kind of like a backup and they don't want to feel like a backup the same way that you don't want to be rejected yeah like they don't fair enough you don't want them to reject you and they don't want you to reject them yeah exactly yeah um and I think some other weird optional stuff that I had um, some schools gave us like a oh some schools gave us a list of like questions answered so it wasn't even essays oh. it was like like what's like what's a fa- like what's your favorite um, like journal or like what so like something oh. that you read or like just like weird stuff like that so you have yeah. to answer those questions you have to too, answer but. them but like sometimes they seem like a waste of time but if you skip it like they'll probably just throw away your application yeah so you still have to do so them do everything <laughs> that's required. If it's optional, I did have some admissions counselors say in like sessions, um, in informational sessions, that if it's an optional essay and you really have nothing to say to it, don't write don't it. make something up because it's a waste of their time. But if you have something you could say to it, which you probably could figure something out, you should do it. All it's going to do is help you. Yeah. And then on that note, with the diversity essay, so every school lets you write a diversity essay. Um, my tip about that is if you have a really good story and you have a, like something that you really want to share um, with the admissions panel about anything diversity wise, then you should write it. But probably would not recommend writing a diversity essay just to have a diversity essay because that won't look very good. Yeah. You have to have something good to say. Yeah. Like, don't Don't, don't write it. Yeah, don't make something up and don't write it just for the sake of having something because yeah. they can see through that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Some schools do require a diversity essay, though. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, some of them require it. So beware that you may have to have one. So you might want to dig deep and find something to write about because I'm pretty sure a couple of mine were, were required. 
type. So then at I that point, I, like, had one, so I was like, oh. this is my diversity essay. Fair enough. I didn't have any, I didn't submit a diversity essay. Yeah. yeah. I did, because I, like I said, I had to write it for one of them, so then I just submitted it for all of them. Yeah. Um, and then I tweak it a little bit if their question was a little bit different. Yeah. Um, because they all kind of word the diversity question a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so just be careful with that. Say things of substance, not of nonsense. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing that we have about the actual applications is that um, for a lot of schools that you're applying to, like, special scholarship programs for, you have to submit those scholarship applications with your application. So just beware of that when you're planning to submit apps. Make sure that you have those done if they need to go with the application so that you're not missing out on something that you might want to apply for. Yeah. yeah. And I would just suggest writing them. You lose nothing by writing them. Yeah. So. No, I did so many scholarship applications that I did not get. Like, I lost some time, but at this point, it doesn't matter. It's too late. Yeah, exactly. I wrote them. And a lot of them might be similar. Like, if you're applying for public service scholarships, oh, yeah. Likely, you can, once you write yeah. one, you can yeah. tweak it for the others. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> not for that's public service, but for, like, I think... I. I think I applied to like some corporate one. Um, one thing that I heard from the law professor who edited my personal essay was um, you don't want to submit it after Halloween. Halloween, like, should, like, if you're still waiting for an LSAT score, you don't want to um, apply before you get your LSAT score, but generally you want to apply as early as possible because law schools are essentially on a they're decided on a rolling basis, yeah. so it's like first come, first serve. They only have so many seats, so if you apply early and they accept you early, then you take one of those seats, and if you wait too long and they accept a lot of their seats already, then it gets, m like, way more competitive um, as, like, you get to the end of the cycle in, like, February or, yeah. Yeah, like February. no, with that, I will say that, I, like I said, I submitted most of mine in November, and that's because I ended up retaking the LSAT one more time when I wasn't planning to um, in like October. So try to take the LSAT at least the first time in the summer, so then you have time to like retake in September. The earlier, the more scholarship money still available as well. So the last section about applications today is what happens post applications. So once you've sent those in and you're like waiting, what you can do during that waiting period and what you can do once you actually start to hear back from schools. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit about like events you can go to? Yeah, so um, schools usually still host like Q&As throughout the year where you're able to talk to their admissions officers or um, any of their current students um, just for you to get some more information about the school and also, you know, kind of show your face around and, you know, make yourself memorable to the admissions officer. Um, yes, because if, they do know when you go yeah. to events. Like, they'll have your name down and know that it seems like you actually care. Yeah. So that, can, that can boost you if you need a little boost. Yes, exactly. Um, admitted student days don't count because you're already admitted, yes. but admitted student days are still, <laughs> still helpful. helpful to go to for sure. For picking a school. So admitted students days can really help you figure out what school you want to go to. So definitely go to those if you're like torn between schools. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically it for events. Yeah. And then um, just if you have any financial aid things to fill out, so most schools just use the FAFSA, but some of them have additional financial aid applications that are specific to their schools. So just make sure you get all of those in by the deadline so that you're not missing out on any money you could be getting. Um, and then also in terms of picking between schools, if you're able to tour schools and you haven't done that yet, um, go like check out the campus, see if it's somewhere that you'd actually want to be, check out the building, if it's like in a city and there's not a campus, like our school, check out the area, just kind of see if that's somewhere you'd want to be. <laughs> and then also with scholarships and financial aid and stuff, you are able to negotiate scholarships, but um, we're going to do a whole episode on like financial aspects with the financial aid. Um, once you get your decision back, and you can get your decision back anytime between, usually, well I mean, Literally anytime after you submit your application. I got one back in December. Yeah. I feel like they really start rolling in in like January and February. January, February, and then essentially all the way until... All the way until 
May. May, yeah. I heard back from some in Yeah, May. you'll hear back from some in May. And then on that, sometimes you'll get... So, other than getting rejected and accepted, you can also get waitlisted, which might be actually the worst, worst option yeah. ever. Um, but essentially what that entails, it's very similar to an undergrad waitlist where they kind of just wait until spots kind of <laughs> open up and then they yeah. let you know um, if you get in off of the waitlist. But... Law schools are really funny in that they uh, will let you, their waitlist, they'll let you know if you get off the waitlist at, literally at any point in time and you can still get in like in August. Yes. That a bunch. And there are things you can do when you're waitlisted. Like the more contact you keep with the school, the more likely yeah. you are to get off the waitlist. So you'll want to send like your letter of continued interest. Continued interest. Thank you. Um, um, keep going to any events that they have send emails with updates if you like start a new job do a new volunteer experience yeah um i think i sent a couple of these letters and i I timed it um when deposit right after deposits were due because that's that's when they know when how many seats they have open so like literally the day after they sent um deposit deadlines i like (laughs) each of the schools um where i was waitlisted like a letter of like any like new internships or like things that I did over the summer or like an update on um, my grades. Yeah. And then I actually didn't care enough about any of the schools I was waitlisted at <laughs> to do a letter of continued interest, but um, I did send some updates yeah. of like um, a new volunteer positions and stuff that I was doing. Um, and you can also do that while you're waiting to hear back from schools. Yeah. So if you haven't been admitted, rejected, or waitlisted yet, you can still you, send those letters anyway. You, yeah, you can send, like, updates. So if you get a new job or something, update them because that sure. could be something that puts you, like, over the line for them to then admit you. Um, so definitely if you have anything new going on, they tell you to update you, but definitely do update them. Yeah. But yeah, and then speaking of deposit deadlines and such, that's usually in May. Yeah. So just want to make note of that. Usually you have to pick a school then by May. You might still be on waitlist other places, but you probably want to put a deposit down somewhere. Yeah, you so definitely you have somewhere to go next yes. year. You definitely put a deposit down, but usually there's two um, two cycles of deposits. Mm-hmm. So you'll submit the first one, and then if you hear back from another school, you can you kind of eat that. That's what we have for you today. If you guys have any questions for us about law school and this process specifically. Um, or just another law school topic you want us to cover in another episode, just, like, shoot us Let an us email. Know. Shoot me a message on Instagram. The email's also linked on Instagram. Um, you can also message my personal Instagram. Okay, friends. So we just have our two um, short segments that we do at the end of all of our episodes now. So the first one, again, is a fun New York City recommendation for the week. So, Grace, do you want to give your recommendation first? Yes, I do. Okay, so, um, if you are in New York City, I would highly recommend you go to Union Square's Farmer's Market. Um, They're open pretty much every single day, but I went on Saturday, and some of the stands had my favorite apple cider donuts. And just, like, normal apple cider, which I bought both of, and they were freaking fantastic. I have to go get some apple cider donuts. I was telling Grace are my favorite fall breakfast because yeah there's like pumpkin pancakes pumpkin this but apple cider donuts just hit in a different way (laughs) oh yeah yeah so um and then my recommendation for the week lunetta's pizza is our corner pizza place we get it during the day megan has gotten it in the morning we get it at 3 a.m they're open until like 4 4 30 they're great on the weekends. my favorite pizza place in yes. the city yeah it's delicious the one bite accurate. ratings it got like an 8.1 or an 8.3 super yeah. super high so um if you're in new york it's near gramercy park check out lunetta's pizza it's open all the time basically they're closed literally for like four hours all of the time something um it's on third avenue <gasps> and i want to say 20 20th. 20th yeah, yeah it's third and 20th. yeah third and 20th yep it's right on the corner you can't miss it this is the how to be a better person segment so um my little tip for today is just going to be that was not good let me redo that <laughs> mm-hmm. okay 
so this is the how to be a better person segment so again that's just like a little tip about what you can do for like the environment or to like help other people help some type of cause that you care about could be animals you know whatever you're feeling so my tip for this week is an environmental one it is to use toothpaste tabs if you've never used those they're like these little chalky looking tabby things um, and the idea is that you bite down on them and then just add water with your toothbrush as opposed to having a paste in a tube where the paste is just made out of that powdery substance anyway with water so then the plastic is not needed um, so I have the bite toothpaste bits um, which is a subscription so it comes in the mail for me every three months it's like a 90-day supply mm -hmm. and um, they send the refills in like compostable packaging but your original comes in a little glass jar that you get to just keep reusing so there's no plastic involved and um, yeah and they're kind of fun too because you like pop it in your mouth bite down and you add the water and it's like wow I've got toothpaste in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> so that's my tip for today um, so my better person tip is going to be drinking from reusable water bottles. Um, classic. I've been trying to get my family to do that pretty much ever since I went to California. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's, because that's such a big too. thing. Everyone yeah. walks around with a hydro flask yeah. or like... I bought my hydro flask like a month in. Or a Yeti mug. San Diego. Something. Yes, I have a Yeti and a hydro flask now. Yes, now I literally cannot buy plastic water bottles. No, I refuse to. Like, I when I first got out to San Diego, I, like, bought a case of water, and then after that, I was like, never again. Never Why again. Why did I do that? And our school was so convenient. Like, there was fill-up stations all over the place. Exactly. Like, there was a gym across from my dorm that was, like, um, also a cafe in the bottom, and I could go into either of those and fill up my water. Exactly. You so. save uh, the environment by not using plastic bottles and you save uh, some money in your wallet because yeah. you don't have to pay for plastic bottles. <laughs> well, those are tips for today. But yeah, so again, you can follow the podcast at Legally Couture Podcast um, on Instagram. You can email us at Legally Couture Podcast at gmail.com. That is also linked on the Instagram. You can follow me at erin.lindsay13 on Instagram. And then my TikTok is erin.13.13. Um, and you can follow me at um, G-R-A-C-E-F-E underscore. Have a nice day, week, night, morning. Whenever, whenever you're listening. You. Yep. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>